0: You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals, from the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang.
1: For another episode of Outlaws and Gunslingers, fresh off of Black Liberation Army episode, uh, Tupac's uh, peoples over there. This one you guys might have heard of if you're uh, fans of the Netflix documentaries that uh, get out there. This one was called, I think it was called Wild Wild Country or something uh, on Netflix. Wild Wild Country. Um, about Wild Wild Country. A group of uh, on well, Indian. Movement, I guess you could say, came over to, uh, Portland area, Washington, and, uh, did some, did some pretty messed up things to try to control the political scene and area (laughs) over in that, uh, region. Of course, we're talking about the Raj, Rajneesh movement, which were people inspired by the Indian mystic Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, Rajneesh, also known as Osho, and, uh, initiated disciples who, were referred to as Neo Sanyasins. Sanyasins, yeah. Neo sanyasins. They used to be known as Rajnashi Raj Raj they used to be known as Rajnishis, or Orange people because of the orange and later red, maroon, and pink clothes. Makes no sense. They used from nineteen seventy until nineteen eighty five.
0: The Indians are very colorful. Yeah man. A colorful group what there. is
1: that one, uh Dali or something? Dalai Lama? No, um Dahili. Dahili Diwali. Dwali. From um, the office, Diwali is the festival of life. Michael Scott.
0: Right.
1: Uh, members of the movement are sometimes called Oshoites in the Indian
0: press. Why well, I got to come up with so many different names? Right.
1: Just call them Rajneesh. Hey.
0: Rajneeshies. 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 Or orange people who work.
1: Donald Trump takes offense to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Okay, so we got...
1: There's also a whole section of... Um, their time in India, because that's where they originated from, was in India. And then a whole bunch of stuff went down there. And uh, they came to America. But obviously, this is about American history and not Indian history. So if you want to look up their Indian stuff, you can go over there. But uh, They kind of
0: brainwashed the people over there so they came over here? This
1: is this is going to be long enough with just their American actions. So.
0: Right. Tensions with the public and threatened punitive action by Indian authorities originally motivated the founders and leaders of the Raj, Rajneesh movement. Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh and Ma Ananda Sheila. To leave India and became a new religious settlement in the United States of America. Discussions of this new settlement began as early as 1980, but Rajneesh did not agree to relocate until May of 1981, when he traveled to the United States on a tourist visa, ostensibly for medical purposes. Why would he go take it? India wasn't all that great in the medicine field back
1: then? All all their doctors are over here already. (laughs) Rajneesh Piram. Was planned from the beginning as a home for Rajneesh's followers in the United States, most of whom were told to sell all their belongings before moving there. Well, that's dumb. That
0: some Jim Jones stuff. All right. Uh,
1: The decision to register as a town was made primarily so that Rajneesh could govern
0: over his followers without attracting attention from authorities. What do you Uh, think? He was just going to say, this is our town now, and we don't have to abide by anybody's laws. (laughs) Don't work that way. Or, well, I guess. Can you? No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Govern does it register the town well i mean i guess though because if he registers at his town he's like the de facto the mayor, mayor so he can do whatever he wants right but
0: he thinks like the state or the federal ain't gonna step when, in jeez i mean he might get a couple years rajneesh piram was on the site of sixty four thousand two hundred twenty nine acre uh central oregon property known as the big muddy ranch near antelope which was purchased by sheila's husband john sheffler shelfer John Shelfer. She
1: yeah. had an American husband then apparently. I
0: guess oh, so. Nineteen eighty one. That's when he purchased it for five point seven point five million dollars. Five point seven point five? Dang. <laughs> <laughs> five point seven five million, which is seventeen million today. Wow. Within a year of arriving, the commune's leader had been embroiled in a series of legal battles with their neighbors, primarily over land use. Yeah, I would imagine so. Well these guys have probably been using the land for <laughs> years and years.
1: And these guys just come in and think they can do whatever the hell they want. They had initially stated that they were planning to create a small agricultural community, their land being zoned for agricultural use, mm. but it soon became apparent that they wanted to establish the kind of infrastructure and services normally associated with a town. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> These guys thought they were going
1: to be slick. Right. Within three years, the Neo sanyasins Rajneesh's followers, obviously, developed a community, turning the ranch from an empty rural property into a city of up to 7,000 people. Dang. Complete with typical urban infrastructure, infrastructure, such as fire department, police, restaurants, malls, townhouses, a 4,200-foot airstrip, hey. a public transport system using buses, a sewage reclamation plant, a reservoir, and a post office with the zip code 97741. Dude, hey. these guys came in and like literally just made a town. Like, here we go. Like, this is ours now. Nothing can't stop me
0: now. Like, they needed a bus system for 7,000 people. 64,000 acres is pretty huge, dude. It is pretty big. It is thought that the actual population during this time was potentially much higher than they claimed, which it probably was, and the Neo-Saniasins may have gone as far as to hide beds and citizens during investigations. Oh, my. Various legal conflicts, primarily over land use, escalated to bitter hostility between the commune and local residents, and the commune was subject to sustained and coordinated pressures from various coalitions of Oregon residents over the length of its existence.
1: So these- uh They're going to fight from everything. These Organians are not liking these people right. coming here, and um, they're like, this is our city. This is, this is our land. Specifically, the city of Antelope, which became a focal point of the conflict, it was the nearest town to the ranch and had a population of under 60 people, so you know they ain't taken kindly to right. 7,000 coming in. Initially, Rajneesh's followers had purchased only a small number of lots in Antelope, and that's why, too, they're over there buying up land from All right. After the activist group 1,000 Friends of Oregon became involved, Antelope denied the Sanyazins uh, a business permit for the mail order operation, and more Sanyazins moved into the town.
0: Oh, no. is going to take... Coming in. Mm-hmm. Taking over. April 1982. Antelope held a vote to disincorporate itself to prevent itself from being taken over oh. by this time there were enough Rajneeshi residents to defeat the measure oh here it comes by may of 1982 the residents of the rancho rajneesh commune voted to incorporate the separate city of rajneesh puram on the ranch apart from the control of antelope and the land use question there were other disputes the commune leadership took an aggressive stance on many issues, initiated litiga- litigation against various groups and individuals. These guys are so just coming, just in. coming
1: in and trying to change the whole <laughs> landscape of of that area. Starting <laughs> lawsuits
0: with everybody. And Jeez. so oh freaking Pete.
1: Well, in June 1983, a bombing of Hotel Rajneesh, which was a, uh, obviously, hotel owned by them in Portland by the Islamist militant Islamist militant group Jama'at al <laughs> Fukra, further heightened tensions. The display of semi-automatic weapons acquired by the Rajneesh Firm Peace Force created an image of imminent violence. Peace Force, but they're weapons. Rumors arose of the National Guard being called in to arrest Rajneesh. At the same time, the commune was embroiled in a range of legal disputes. Jeez, oh Pete. Man,
0: these guys are just morons.
1: So these guys burned a bridge over in India and they're coming in and immediately do the same thing over here.
0: It's like, did you you learn? Their heels were still on fire as they (laughs) walked into freaking Oregon. (laughs) Idiots. Oregon Attorney General David B. Fraunmeyer maintained that the city was essentially an arm of a religious organization and that his incorporation thus violated the principle of separation of church and state. Mm. Thousand Friends of Oregon claimed that the city violated state land use laws. 1983, a lawsuit was filed by the state of Oregon to invalidate the city's incorporation. Many attempts to expand the city further were legally blocked, prompting followers to attempt to build a nearby Antelope, which was briefly renamed Rajneesh. <laughs> ah, when sufficient numbers of Rajneshis registered to vote, uh, they would run referendum referendum on the subject. It's
1: oh, taking over the town, yep. dude. Well, you figure there was only 60 people to begin with. All they had to do was send 61 people there.
0: <laughs> uh, there are Seven, Right.
1: The Rajneesh Faram residents believed that the wider Oregonian community Oregonian, Oregonian community, was both bigoted and suffered from religious intolerance. According to Carl Latkin, Rajneesh's followers had made, made peaceful overtures to the local community when they first arrived, did they, though? Yeah. As Rajneesh Faram grew in size, heightened tensions led to certain fundamentalist Christian church leaders to denounce Rajneesh, the commune, and his followers. Well, first of all, right, they're looking at this guy like he's a god, like... Right. I mean,
0: clearly this dude wants to run it like a freaking cult. And now he's just trying to come in and taking over other people's stuff. Jeez, OP. Petitions were circulated, aimed at ridding the state of the perceived menace. Letters to state newspapers reviled the Rajnishis. one of them likening Rajneesh Burham to another Saddam and Gomorrah. Or Sodom. Right, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. Another referring them to as cancer in our midst. Right. In time, circulars mixing hunting humor with dehumanizing characterizations of Rajnishis began to appear at gun clubs, turkey shoots, and other gatherings. One of these circulated widely over the Northwest, declared an open season on the Central Eastern Rajneesh, <laughs> known locally as the Red Rats or the Red Vermin. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what
1: they're like. They're like right? rats <laughs> coming in and <laughs> taking over, dude. That's what it was, too. Jeez. As Rajneesh himself did not speak in public during this period and until October 8, 1984 gave few interviews, the Secretary and Chief Spokesperson Ma Anand Sheila, whose real name is Sheila Silverman, became, for practical purposes, the leader of the commune. Okay. She did little to defuse the conflict, employing a crude, caustic, and defensive speaking style that exas- exasperated the hostilities and attracted media attention. Of course it did. On September 14, 1985, Sheila and 15 to 20 other top officials abruptly left Rajneesh Piram.
0: Ooh, okay. Which we'll find out now. All right. The following week, Rajneesh convened press conferences and publicly accused Sheila and her team of having committed crimes within and outside the commune. Community crimes here and outside. How do they know she did it outside? Do they know that? they have followers outside the commune? Sure, they would know. The subsequent criminal investigation, the largest in Oregon history, confirmed that a secretive group had, unbeknownst to both government officials and nearly all Rajneesh Piram residents, engaged in a variety of criminal activities, including the attempted murder of Rajneesh's physician, wiretapping and bugging within the commune, and within Rajneesh's home poisonings of two public officials and arson oh dang oh
1: that's just getting started dang after being denied building permits for raj nishpiram the community leadership sought to gain political control over the rest of the county by influencing the november 1984 county election No oh, their goal was to win two of the three seats on the <sighs> on the wasco county commission as well as the sheriff's office their attempts to influence the election included the share a home program in which they transported thousands of homeless people to Rajneesh Piram to attempt to register to vote, to register them to vote to inflate the constituency of voters for the group's <laughs> candidates. <laughs> Sounds, um, Jeez, okay.
0: yeah. Get a bunch of homeless, and then after that, they kick them over. Probably, so, probably. I'll guarantee it. Jeez. The Waiscoe County clerk countered this attempt by enforcing a regulation that required all new voters to submit their qualifications when registering to vote. Hey. The commune <laughs> leadership planned to sicken and incapacitate voters in the Dallies, uh, where most of the voters resided, to sway the election. Approximately 12 people were involved in the plots to employ biological agents, and at least 11 were involved in planning them. So what would the other one do? <laughs> right,
1: like, how well, about just all of them did it? <laughs>
0: hey guys, where are you guys going? You know, we don't need you to plan it. <laughs>
1: no, no. no more than four appear to have been involved in the development at the Rajneesh Pyram Medical Laboratory, Not all those, not all of those were necessarily aware of the objectives of their work. At least eight individuals helped spread the bacteria. The main planners of the attack included Sheila, Rajneesh's chief lieutenant. Um, I guess that's who she is. And Diane Ivan Anang, whose name in, uh, Rajneesh's place is Ma Anand Puja, a nurse practitioner and secretary treasurer of the Rajneesh Medical Corporation.
0: Really? They purchased salmonella bacteria from a medical supply company in Seattle. Staff cultured it in the labs with inside the commune. They contaminated the produce at the salad bars as a trial run. The group also tried to introduce pathogens into the Dali's water system. Jeez. If successful, they planned to use the same techniques closer to Election Day. They did not carry out the second part of the plan. The commune decided to boycott the election when it became clear that those brought in through the Share Home program, would not be allowed to
1: vote. Uh, so those homeless people they brought in, they were like, yeah, they're not allowed to vote, and I guarantee they kicked them all out. They were he's like, gonna, yeah, you got to go now. He's got
0: a bunch of bad ideas. Yeah.
1: Jeez. Two <laughs> Two visiting Wasco County commissioners were infected via glasses of water containing salmonella bacteria during a visit visit to Raj Nishpiram on August 29, 1984, hmm. why would you go there? Right. Both men fell ill and one was hospitalized. Uh-oh. Afterward, members of Sheila's team spread salmonella on, a produ- on produce in grocery stores and on doorknobs and urinal handles oh, in geez. the county courthouse. These actions did not produce the desired effects. Of course not. In September and October of 1984, they contaminated the salad bars of 10 local restaurants with salmonella, infected 751 people. Okay. 45 people received hospital treatment. All survived.
0: Jeez, a freaking Pete, man. Salmonella outbreak. Uh, yeah. Jeez. The primary delivery tactic involved one member concealing a plastic bag containing a light brown liquid with salmonella bacteria. They refer to it as their salsa. You got salsa? My duke.
1: salsa makes all uh, the particular sense and take off their underpants. <laughs>
0: and go poop, 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 poop in the toilet. <laughs> My salsa. He- <laughs> My salsa. <laughs> uh, and they're either spreading it over the food at a salad bar or they pouring it.
1: How does people not see this guy or people pouring some dark-ass right. ass liquid on the shit? Or they pour it into the salad dressing. Jeez.
0: By September 24th, 1984, more than 150 people were violently
1: ill. Violently, huh? <laughs> By the end of September, 751 cases of acute gastroenteritis were documented. Lab testing determined that all the victims were infected with Salmonella enterica typhimurium. <laughs> <laughs> Symptoms included diarrhea, fever, chills, nausea, vomiting, headaches, abdominal pain, and bloody stools.
0: Yeah, that's food Victim
1: ranged in age from an infant. Born two days after his mother's infection, and initially given a five percent chance of survival to an eighty-seven-year-old, who was basically an infant.
0: (laughs) How sick can you be that 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 intentionally get people sick?
1: Why? uh, What were they trying to accomplish with doing that to the residents, making sure they wouldn't show up on poll day or something? I don't. Very possible. Making sure that you know nobody's going to come out and
0: vote. Wow! I mean, they, they intentionally harm people's health. Kind of, people would do that. Local residents suspected that Rajneesh's followers were Joe Biden. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they're all Joe Biden. They're just walking around the commune.
0: Hey man, hey man, you seen corn pop? <laughs> He's a bad dude. I got hairy legs.
1: <laughs> like, what do you know,
0: Joe? <laughs> you know Joe. Local residents suspected that the Rajneesh followers were behind the poisonings. They turned out in droves on election day to prevent the cult from winning any county positions, thus rendering the plot unsuccessful. Yeah, idiots.
1: They already were on to you before you start poisoning them.
0: (laughs) The Rajneeshis eventually withdrew their candidate from the November 1984 ballot. Only 239 of the commune's 7,000 residents voted. Most were not U.S. citizens and could not vote.
1: Yeah, why don't they think it would even be successful when none of you guys are even residents? Idiots, man.
0: Oh, my goodness. I thought these guys, I bet you they just thought they'd just come over here and be like, it's ours for the taking. These guys. Americans are
1: stupid. They're right. Jeez. The outbreak cost local restaurants hundreds of thousands of dollars, and health officials shut down the salad bars of the affected establishments. Some residents feared further attacks and stayed at home. All right. One resident said people were so horrified and scared, people wouldn't go out. They wouldn't go out alone. People were becoming prisoners mm, in geez. their own
0: neighborhoods. Man, that sounds so familiar. Officials investigators from a number of different state and federal agencies investigated this outbreak. Michael Skeels, director of the Oregon State Public Health Laboratory at the time, said that the incident provoked such a large public health investigation because it was the largest food-related outbreak in the United States in 1984. <laughs> yeah, would imagine, 751 people. Right. The investigation identified the bacteria as Salmonella enterica typhoromium and initially concluded that the outbreak had been due to food handlers poor personal hygiene
1: <laughs> oh dude look at that they try- <laughs> oh, i would have if i was the food handlers after it was discovered these guys i would have sued the piss out of everybody
0: right workers preparing food after the affected restaurants had fallen ill before most patrons had because they're the ones
1: handling the food right oh right i mean i I, mean, I don't know they're not eating it though right well they shouldn't be anyway so they're handling the food and not washing their hands so that's pretty gross
0: Oregon Democratic Congressman James H. Weaver continued to investigate because he believed that the official's conclusion did not adequately explain the facts.
1: All right. At least somebody has a brain in this fucking or freaking place.
0: Right. He contacted physicians at the CDC and other agencies, urged them to investigate Rajneesh Param. According to Lewis F. Carter's book, Charisma and Control in Rajneesh Param. Many treated his concern as paranoid or an example of Rajneeshie bashing. Uh-oh. Oh, man. On February 28,
1: 1985, Weaver gave a speech at the United States House of Representatives in which he accused the Rajneeshis of contaminated salib- salad salibars, <laughs> salad bar ingredients in eight restaurants. I thought it was ten. Uh, as events later showed, Weaver had presented a well-reasoned, if only circumstantial case... These circumstantial elements were confirmed by evidence found after investigators gained access to Rajneesh Piram several months later, though.
0: Uh, they still had the evidence around several months later. <laughs>
1: Idiots. Right, like, oh,
0: jeez. We still got any of that salsa left? We do. We do.
1: Maybe they were planning to use it still. There we go.
0: Months later, starting on September 16, 1985, Rajneesh, who had recently emerged from a four-year period of public silence and self-imposed isolation, although he had continued to meet with his assistant...
1: So it's not even the, the people that live there aren't even seeing him either?
0: All right. Uh, he had uh, press conferences. He stated that Sheila and 19 other commune leaders, including Pooja, had left Rajneesh Purim over the weekend and gone to Europe. Oh. He said that he had received information from commune residents that Sheila and her team had committed a number of serious crimes, despicable, that we do not stand we do behind.
1: not stand behind at Rajneesh Purim. calling them a gang of fascists. No. He said they had tried to poison his doctor and Rajneesh's female companion, as well as the Jefferson County District Attorney and the water system in the Dallas. Oh, wow. Uh, he said they believe they had poisoned a county commissioner and Judge William Hulse, and that they may have been responsible for the salmonellosis outbreak <laughs> in the Dallas.
0: Oh, geez.
1: Uh, oh, so do you think he's in on it, or he's just trying to save his ass
0: he's now? He's saving his ass. He still wants his town. Right. He invited state and federal law enforcement officials to the ranch to investigate. His allegations were initially greeted with skepticism by outside observers. Oregon Attorney General Dave Fraunmeyer established a task force among the Wasco County Sheriff's Office, the Oregon State Police, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation.
1: Well, this uh, just went out the window.
0: <laughs> and also involved the Immigration and Naturalization Service Uh-oh. and the National Guard. And they all set up headquarters on the ranch to investigate the allegations. Dang, you all those people mm, working together. Yeah. FBI ain't doing nothing. All right,
1: they're just sitting there. They had, with their coats that say FBI and their little sunglasses on. <laughs> they, re, they obtained search warrants and subpoenas. 50 investigators entered the ranch on October second, nineteen 1985. Skeels found glass vials contained in salmonella bacterial discs in the laboratory of Rajneesh Pyram Medical Clinic. Uh-huh. Analysis by the Centers for the G- CDC Lab in Atlanta confirmed that the bacteria at the Rajneesh Laboratory were an exact match. To those that sickened individuals who had eaten at local restaurants. Oh man! Before these people got kicked out of the uh, thing, when they've like taken all that shit with them or
0: destroyed it, like you would think, right? Not leave it behind. The investigation also revealed experimentation at Rajneesh Param with poisons, chemicals, and bacteria, which had been carried out during 1984 and the year of 1985. Mm. Skills described the scene at the Rajneesh Laboratory as a bacteriological freezer dryer for large scale production of microbes. Uh, Investigators found a copy of Anarchist Cookbook. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. (laughs) And literature on the manufacture and usage of explosives. And military
1: biowarfare. Jeez, dude. What is this, Timothy McVeigh? Yeah, but
0: they were going to put the shit in explosives. Chemical.
1: Right. warfare, yeah. Right. Investigators believe that the commune had previously carried out similar attacks in Salem, Portland, and other cities in Oregon. According to court testimony, the plotters the p- p- plotters <laughs> boasted that they had attacked a nursing home and a salad bar at the Mid-Columbia Medical
0: Center. What <laughs> about these salad bars? <laughs> I <don't> know.
1: <laughs> and such attempts were never, ever proven in court. As a result of the bioterrorism e- investigation, law enforcement officials discovered that there had been an aborted plot by them to murder Charles Turner, who was a former United States uh, attorney for Oregon.
0: Oh, He must have been getting away with something.
1: Ooh, we'll have that coming up. Don't worry. We ain't done with these guys yet.
0: Well, the mayor of Rajneesh David Barry Knapp, which was Swami Deva, also known as KD. <laughs> Jeez, that They call me three different things. <laughs> right. Uh, turned state's evidence and mm. gave an account of his knowledge of the salmonella attack to the FBI. He claimed that Sheila said she had talked with Rajneesh about the plot to, de- to decrease voter turnout in the Dallies by making people sick. Sheila said that Rajneesh commented that it was best not to hurt people, but if a few died, not to
1: worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, probably shouldn't hurt people, but, you know, if a few die, whatever. <laughs> and Miller's Germs, Biological Weapons in America's Secret War, which is a book the statements is attributed to Sheila. Hmm. Not of course, according to Katie's testimony, she played doubters a tape of Rodney's muffled voice saying if it is if it was necessary to do things to preserve his vision, then do it and interpreted this to mean that murder and his name was fine, telling doubters not to worry if a few people had to die.
0: <laughs> yeah, muffled sound, too. Hmm. Nothing's ever clear. All right. According to the account of Satya Barty Franklin, when writing about theories about tape Sheila claimed to have. As many of us knew, she had a wide variety of Bagwens discourse tapes edited over the years until they had said only what she wanted them to say, Mm. while Ashram Ranch videos and uh, films had been judiciously spliced and edited. Rewriting history. It was a process many of us, including me, had been involved with in one way or another. Whatever tape she had in her possession proved nothing. Right. End quote. Well, you can prove forensic
1: analysis can prove if something was edited. You can go back and look at the um, the tape and see something was edited or taken out. I'm sure. Yeah, right, right. Uh, John J. Shelfer, whose name was Swami Prem Jayananda, who was Sheila's husband at the uh, commune, called in 2020, recalled in 2020 that Sheila was very good at framing the issues in a way that would invite Osho's approval of whatever she approved to do. She might ask a general, broad question, get an answer, and then she would go back and use that as OSHO authorizing whatever it was that she wanted to do. <laughs> she would provide and limit information as it would help support what she wanted. Um, yeah, so she's like, so we should probably, you know, you know, we need to, we need to do whatever we can to get our uh, our voters out there and get our guys in place. And Rajanisha's is like, yeah, yeah, we need to we need to spread our message. And she's like, so yes. murder people, <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: The investigation uncovered a September 25, 1984 invoice from the American type culture collection of microbes showing an order received by the Roshni's Perum Laboratory for Salmonella Typhi, the bacterium that causes the life-threatening illness, typhoid fever. Oh. Oh. According to a 1994 study published in the journal Sociology of Religion. Most Saniyazans indicated that they believed that Rajneesh knew about Ma'anad Sheila's illegal activities.
1: I mean, I think he did. Right. Francis Fitzgerald writes in Cities on a Hill that most of Rajneesh's followers believed him incapable of doing or willing violence against another person. And that almost all thought the responsibility for the criminality was Sheila's. According to Fitzgerald, the followers believed the guru had not known anything about it. Hmm. Karis writes... In toxic terror that there's no way to know what extent Rajneesh participated in actual decision-making. Right. I think he made all decisions. So
0: he did it, but he didn't he right. did it, but he didn't. Right. He's like the Pope. Everybody thinks he's so holy. Right, This guy's a murderer. His followers believed he was involved in every important decision that Sheila made, but those allegations were never proven. Rajneesh insisted that Sheila, who he, who he said was his only source of information during his period of isolation, used her position to impose a fascist state. He acknowledged that the key to her actions was his silence. So why did he stay silent? I don't get it. Who knows? Is that like, is that like an Indian thing to do? You gotta stay silent for so long
1: and rub your beard.
0: Right. Two Indians, two beards.
1: I don't, I don't know. Rajneesh left Oregon by plane on October 27, 1985, and was arrested when he landed in Charlotte, North Carolina, and charged with 35 counts of deliberate violations of immigration laws. As part of a plea bargain arrangement, he pleaded guilty to two counts of making false statements False statements to immigration officials. He received a 10-year suspended sentence and a fine of U.S. $400,000 and was deported and barred from re entering the United States for a period of five years.
0: Ooh-wee. So he got deported, huh?
1: Well, why'd he fly? Was right. he going to leave the United States and well, they got him in Charlotte? That what happened. Why would he go to Charlotte?
0: He was never prosecuted for crimes related to the Salmonella attack. Sheila and Pujol were arrested in West Germany on the 28th of October, 1985. Oh. After protracted negotiations between the two governments, they were extradited to the United States, reaching Portland on February 6th, 1986. They were charged with attempting to murder Rajneesh's personal physician, first degree assault for poisoning Judge William Hulse, uh, a second degree assault for poisoning the Dally's Commissioner Raymond Matthews, and product tampering for the poisonings in the Dallys, as well as wiretapping and immigration offenses. Oh. I mean, that's a lot of charges there. Geez, yeah. oh Pete.
1: The U.S. Attorney's Office handled the prosecution of the poisoning cases related to the 10 restaurants, and the Oregon Attorney General's Office prosecuted the poisoning cases of the commissioner and the judge. July twenty second, 1986, both women entered Elford pleas, guilty plea in criminal court whereby Mm -hmm. a defendant in a criminal case does not admit to the criminal act and asserts innocence, but admits that the evidence presented would likely persuade a judge to give him a guilty verdict. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're permissible in nearly all U.S. state and federal courts except for Indiana, Michigan, and New Jersey, or in the United States Armed Forces courts. Didn't even know that was a thing. Did not. So yeah, Elford, please, for the salmonella attack on the other chart and the other charges, and receive sentences ranging from two to twenty years to be served concurrently.
0: Bang. Okay. Sheila received 20 years for attempted murder of Rajneesh's physician, 20 years for first-degree salt and the poisoning of Judge Hulse, 10 years for second-degree salt and the poisoning of Commissioner Matthews, four-and-a-half years for her role in the attack, four-and-a-half years for the wiretapping conspiracy, Jeez. five years probation for immigration fraud. Pooja received 15, 15, 15, no, 15 years, 15 years seven-and-a-half, four-and-a-half, respectively, for her role in the first of four of the crimes. So, mm-hmm. Well,
1: they're all served concurrently, so the longest right. sentence is all you're going to do anyway. Right, is. right, 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 right.
0: Oh, and she got three years probation for wiretapping, too.
1: <laughs> they, should, they should tack that probation on after right. that she gets out, though. Right. They probably will. Both Sheila and Pooja were released on parole early for their good behavior, and after serving 29 months, two and a half years, of their sentences in a minimum, secu- minimum, minimum security federal prison, Sheila's green card was revoked. She moved to Switzerland. She remarried there and went on to run two nursing homes there. Oh,
0: shit. She's running nursing homes? How many people died of that? Right. How much
1: salsa did she have there? Right.
0: The Rosneesies committed the most significant crimes of their kind in the history of the United States. The largest single incident of fraudulent marriages, the most massive scheme of wiretapping and bugging, and the largest mass poisoning. This comes from Oregon Attorney General Dave Fraunmeyer.
1: Well... In addition, the Oregonian ran a 20 part series on Rajneesh's movement beginning in 20 June. Part 20 parts. They're milking that shit. Mm. Well, not much goes on in Oregon. So. Right. Beginning in June of 1985, which included an investigation into the Salmonella incident. As a result of a follow up investigation, the Oregonian learned that Leslie L. Zates, one of their investigative journalists, had been placed as a number three on the top 10 hit list by Sheila's group. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, top ten hit list by uh, number three, uh journalist. Oh so. so Lucky uh, all that shit got found out when it did.
0: Well, looking back on the incident, Skill stated, we lost our innocence over this. We really learned to be more suspicious. The first significant biological attack on the United States community was not carried out by foreign terrorists smuggled into New York, but by legal residents of the United States community.
1: Uh, pretty much foreign terrorists, though. Right. I mean, let's not confuse it.
0: He went on to say, the next time it happens, it could be with more lethal agents. We in public health are really not ready to deal with that. Well,
1: why don't you just open it up and broadcast it to the whole damn world that wants to do it to us then, huh? Idiot. And you still weren't ready. (laughs) right? And still not ready. This is 25 years ago. 30 years ago. Milton Leitenberg noted in the 2005 work Assessing the Biological Weapons and Bioterrorism Threat. There is apparently no other terrorist group that is known to have successfully cultured any pathogen. Federal and—so these guys— Right, I guess they did. They cultured the salmonella by themselves, so who else would be able to do that? Nobody else has been able to do anything, apparently, according to these guys. Federal and state investigators requested that details of the incident not be published in the Journal of American Medical Association for 12 years, for they feared a description of the events could spark copycat crimes. Oh, but 12 years
0: from now, it's fine? All right, and JAMA complied.
1: It's... Well, hopefully in 12 years, they would make a thing that would— um. Deal with it. I don't know. And repeat. No repeat attacks or hoaxes subsequently occurred, and a detailed account of the incident and investigation was published in JAMA in
0: 1997. Okay.
1: And two days later, there was uh, people spreading shit on a salad bar. Right.
0: A 1999 empirical analysis in the journal Emerging Infectious Diseases, published by the CDC, described six motivational factors associated with bioterrorism, including charismatic leadership. Check. No outside constituency. Almost check. Apocalyptic ideology. Pretty much check. Loner or splinter group. Well. Sense of paranoia and grandiosity. Eh, maybe. And defensive aggression. But yes, for sure. Yes. According to the article, the Rajneesh cult, which is, that's what he called it, satisfied all motivational factors except for an apocalyptic ideology.
1: Paranoia. I guess paranoia because they right. were, okay, yeah. well, they weren't a loner or a splinter group, though. I don't. I wouldn't say that. I got, Oh, and I, I mean, I guess the group that carried out the attacks were a splinter group from right. the Rajneeshis, right, So right, right, I guess. Right. Supposedly, right? An analysis in the book "Cults, Religion, and Violence" disputes the link to the charismatic leadership, pointing out that in this and other cases, it was organizational lieutenants who played a pivotal role in the initiation of violence. That's true. Right. Arguing for a contextual rather than decisive view of charisma. The authors state that the attribution of outcomes to the personality of a single individual, even a charismatic leader, usually camouflages a far more complex field of social relationships. Obviously,
0: especially a group of 7,000 people right. coming in and wanting to just take over 64,000 acres of land and make it their own.
1: And another nearby town of 60
0: Jeez. people. The media revisited the incident during the 2001 anthrax attacks in the United States of America. 2001 publication of judith miller's germs biological weapons and america's secret war which contained analysis and detailed description of the events also brought discussion of the incident back into the news residents of the dallies commented that they have an understanding of how biotism can occur in the united states um we 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 know we, we know we get it St- we-, we cover from long salmonella. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> the incident had spread fear in the community and drained the local economy. All but one of the restaurants affected went out of business. business. Wow. Well, 2005, the Oregon State Land Board agreed to sell 480 acres of Wasco County, including Rajne- Rajneesh Piram, to the Colorado based youth ministry, Young Life. All right. February 18, 2005, Court TV aired an episode of Forensic Files about the incident Bio Attack, Oregon Cult Poisoning.
0: Really? Good for them. Court TV, huh? The the salmonella outbreak was also discussed in the media within the context of the 2006 North American E. coli outbreak. The book Emerging Infectious Diseases, Trends and Issues cites the 1984 Rajneesh bioterror attack, along with Onshimriko's group's attempts to use anthrax and other agents as exceptions to the belief that only foreign state-supported groups have the resources to execute a credible bioterrorism event. Why? Because they're smarter than Americans? Or you could probably
1: get a hold of that shit a lot easier over the black markets over there. I don't know. According to Deadly Cultures, biological weapons since 1945, these are the only two confirmed uses of biological weapons for terrorist purposes to harm humans. The Salmonella and the um, E. coli outbreak. The incident was the single largest bioterrorist attack in the United States history. and the chapter, Influence in an Election, America's First Modern Bioterrorist Attack. In his 2006 book, Terrorism on American Soil, a concise history of plots and perpetrators from the famous to the forgotten. Geez author Joseph T. McCann. He concludes, in every respect, the Salmonella attack carried out by the cult members was a major bioterrorist attack that fortunately failed to achieve its ultimate goal and resulted in no fatality.
0: Great. I'm glad it didn't.
1: Right. um, What a failure that was. Meanwhile, though.
0: Oh, during the same time, though, uh, Dr. Fauci's killing a bunch of people with the, with aid the shot. AIDS
1: stuff, yeah. Jeez. Um. Meanwhile, though, here, we're not done with old Sheila.
0: Oh, it's just, just, just Sheila. Because
1: right around the same time she's doing this, another more serious thing uh, she's also planning here.
0: Oh, Well, May 1985, Rajneesh's personal secretary and second-in-command, Sheila Silverman, which we said before, gathered the leader's key followers and formed a group of conspirators in order to consider what to do with the growing concern of Turner's continuous involvement with the Right, Sheila stated that Turner's grand jury investigation threatened the existence of the commune and exposed Rajneesh and several of his disciples to criminal prosecution. Oh,
1: why would you be exposed to it if you weren't doing anything? Right. Sheila hoped that by removing Turner's influence, they would be able to thwart the federal immigration investigation, which could have resulted in deportation of Rajneesh leaders. Three former leaders of the commune included Ma Anand Sheila, Diane Ivan, Ivan Onang, a registered nurse from the Philippines who managed the medical facility, and former treasurer of Rajneesh Foundation International and Catherine Jane Stork, of Australia put together a hit list which included U.S. Attorney General or U.S. Attorney Charles Turner and Oregon Attorney General David Fraunmeyer.
0: Jeez, oh Pete.
1: And, uh, apparently the um, Oregonian journalist as well.
0: Right. Susan Hagen, a top official in a Rajneesh Piram hierarchy, was also a participant in the assassination conspiracy. Hagen was in charge of the security force at Rajneesh Piram, ran the Rajneesh Investment Corporation, supervised construction on the commune, Other conspirators in the assassination plot included Anne Phyllis McCarthy, president of the Rajneesh Commune, and Elma Potter, who was Sheila's bodyguard and traveling companion. Oh. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Potter was manager of the Hotel Rajneesh in Portland and a a member of the Commune Security Force. The Oregonian reported that nine people were on the hit list, including Turner Fraunmeyer, former Assistant Attorney General Karen H. Green, Wasco County Planning Director Daniel C. Duro. Wasco County Commissioner James L. Comedy, investigative journalist for the Oregonian Leslie L. Zates, former member Helen C. Byron, who had been awarded $1.7 million in a lawsuit against the Foundation International, Dang. Um, her daughter Barbara, and Rajneesh's former secretary Laxmi Thakarsi All right. Kurara. Okay. Wow, so these three members got out and was like, hey, I'm suing you guys, huh?
0: Right, got it. Got it. Got it. Catherine Jane Stork volunteered to be the follower who would carry out the assassination, bought guns and suppressors. Stork was known to fellow followers as Ma Shanti Badra, and was also one of the three big mamas in Rosh Nisparam. Sally Ann Croft, known by followers as Ma Prem Savita, an accountant to... <clears throat> an accountant and the group's chief financial officer, provided money for the purchase of their weapons-related... I mean, got to have <laughs> I was a C- assume, right? got to have CFO. Phyllis Caldwell,
1: who was known as Ma Deva Ritka, described in a federal affidavit how members of the murder conspiracy obtained handguns, referring to Catherine Jane Stork and Sally Ann Croft. Shanty B went down to Jesus Grove... And Savita gave us several thousand dollars to use to buy guns. Uh-oh. Jesus Grove referred to a group of travelers where all the leaders of the Rajneesh commune resided, except for Bhagwan Shri Rajneesh. Mm-hmm. Sheila and three other Rajneesh followers traveled to New York in the spring of eighty-five to acquire false identification.
0: Okay, Jeez.
1: so they're under investigation for immigration stuff, but they're just traveling freely, and nobody's uh, nobody even knows they're going to New York and stuff. Oh,
0: guess not. Wow. It's allowed. According to the federal indictment, the perpetrators of the assassination plot used a false birth certificate to purchase guns. Two members of the group then traveled to Texas to purchase handguns. Caldwell stated she and Catherine Jane Stark flew to Texas to purchase guns there. They purchased five guns in Texas, but encountered difficulty purchasing handguns in Texas with out-of-state identification and traveled to New Mexico instead. Look at Texas. Like, I don't think so, bud. Right.
1: I'm not really sure why you would be able to buy a gun without in another state without live there anyway right caldwell said they called back to the commune but the women were instructed not to come back without the guns mm. in new mexico they obtained false identification and purchased several pistols their intention was to purchase guns which were difficult to trace mm. well not if you purchased them from a place but right. okay. caldwell said it was easy to obtain guns in new mexico we found it was pretty easy to buy guns all you had to do was show some identification and it was easy to get
0: easy to get okay what you need Caldwell said she and Stark went to the university library to find the identity of someone dying very young next to public records and asked for a copy of a birth certificate and described how we got a rent receipt book and just made up a rent receipt. Okay. We got rent receipt books at the library?
1: No, you just get a blank book and write down whatever you want to prove that you pay rent in that city or state or whatever. <laughs>
0: And then they were able to go to several different gun shops in Albuquerque with those two bits of identification and buy five different guns and bullets. And that's what Caldwell said. They were able to obtain one Colt thirty-eight caliber revolver and four Ruger three fifty-sevens. Dang. Wow.
1: Imagine some business, huh? The conspirator the smuggled the guns into Oregon by packing them in luggage and putting the luggage on a Greyhound line bus. Caldwell said that she and Stork traveled by Traveled by bus back to the Rajneesh Commune, so as to avoid airport metal detectors, obviously. Clearly. after I'm surprised buses don't have metal detectors. Right. After obtaining guns, the conspirators returned to Portland. They rented out an apartment in Portland to serve as their base of operations for the assassination.
0: Okay. And they're, they're going to kill Turner. They're
1: going to kill Turner. Looking forward to it.
0: Rajneesh follower Carol Matthews attempted to obtain the home's address of Charles Turner. She was doing research on him and his work in order to find another way of relating to his animosity toward the commune. According to federal prosecutors, Matthews obtained a college yearbook of Turner's and learned his car's license plate number and his parking location. I
1: imagine all that stuff wouldn't be that hard to find. Right. Court records state that Matthews and an unindicted... Unindicted! (laughs) ...co-conspirator told officials they were conducting a voter survey in order to obtain Turner's route number and post office box number the two tried repeating the story with members of the u.s postal service but the postal officials did not give them turner's of address well not. good job for them it's a federal offense they then drove around turner's neighborhood and were able to find his home by locating a sign in front of his residence that said
0: turner you think that's it <laughs> i hope so the, the turner's the turner's <laughs> jeez It's a target.
1: (laughs) I hate people like that, to be honest with you. They put their name on their mailbox and shit. Nobody cares who you are, dude. Bob and Joyce. Or or the Smiths. The Smiths. Gives a shit who you are. All right.
0: Matthews had pictures of Turner's residence developed. These were later obtained by the FBI during an investigation of the Rajnees Commune and verified after being shown to Turner. The whole process was done in order to try and meet with him to interview and determine what his concerns were. As he refused to meet with anyone at his office. Hmm. I why. Yeah.
1: With this information, however, well, however <laughs> several members of the group of conspirators watched Turner's office, home, and car and discussed methods to assassinate him, hoping that his death would hinder the efforts of the federal investigation into Rajneesh Piram. Okay. Their plan was to shoot Turner in the garage of the federal office building where he worked in Portland, but the conspirators also debated whether to murder Turner in downtown Portland or closer to his home.
0: Hmm. I mean, if you're just going to do it,
1: just do it. <clears throat> right.
0: Doesn't matter Doesn't where. Doesn't matter where's that? Right. After spending multiple nights watching Turner's house, the conspirators decided on the parking garage because they felt it would be too risky to murder him on the drive to or from work or in front of his home. Turner had a reserved parking spot in a federal garage underneath Terry Schrunk Plaza in Portland. An affidavit given to the FBI conspirator, Alma Peralta, Peralta, described how the perpetrators decided on the federal parking garage as a location. She says, Shante Badra said, this seems like a good place to bump this fellow off. <laughs> well, that makes sense.
1: I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> She's like, this is, how, this is how we decided. Well, Shanti said, this seems like a good place. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Whatever. The conspirators practiced different ways of murdering Turner.
0: They practice different, different, different ways of murder for real with like real people.
1: Uh, <laughs> according to the informant statements to law enforcement, one of the conspirators was to pretend there was car trouble, and the others would then approach Turner with their guns. Informants later told law enforcement officials that the conspirators intended to hide out at an international network of Rajneesh communes if the plan was successful.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, according to the organian the assassinations were not carried out because Ma because Sheila became distracted by political power plays within the Rajneesh Commune and other members of the organization who were trying to remove her from her position within the group. Mm. According to witnesses' information, Sheila was persuaded not to carry out this action through conversation with Carol Matthews, who stated to her that it was not a solution in any way and would be a horrendous action. Hey, you think so? She's someone got some common right. sense there. Some
1: commune sense. <laughs> On February 28, 1985, Congressman James H. Weaver gave a speech in the House of Representatives in which he asserted, yeah, they're involved in the bioterror attack. We know that. And then Rajanese accused everybody of doing dirty deeds. And that's when uh, Sheila and all those guys um, left the old commune there. Right. The assassination plot, however, was uncovered by federal law enforcement as a result of the ensuing investigation into activities at Rajneesh Piram. Okay. Turner was never physically harmed and had retired by 1995. Oregonian was informed in October of 1985 by federal law enforcement officials that Leslie Zates, yes, she was on the hit list, uh, number three on the hit list. Right.
0: Mm, geez, OP. Assistant U.S. Attorney Robert Weaver prosecuted this case. The charges were first detailed in an October 1985 bond hearing in North Carolina after Rajneesh and his followers were arrested at the airport. Jollet. Weaver said in court the followers of uh, Rajneesh had plotted assassination of Turner and Frondmeier. He said these allegations were reasons why releasing Rajneesh and his followers from jail would be a clear and present danger to public officials. I would think so. Right.
1: The guns purchased by the Rajneesh followers for the assassination plot had reportedly been dumped in a lake huh. at Rancho Rajneesh. The lake was searched by U.S. Navy divers. Navy divers! <laughs> scuba divers searched the lake for two days, but did not find the guns. Oh, no joseph green a u.s immigration agent testified in court the fbi agents had learned of the assassination plot from a member of the organization who was in a witness protection program oh geez mm, you gotta take care of your members man that's what they happen that they turn on you like that well,
0: green said that members involved in the assassination plot included sheila dion we already knew these guys anyway right. uh, sheila diane onang and Alma peralta Assassination plot was investigated by the FBI and the Oregon State Police. I oh, feel for the Oregon State Police. Right. I'll work with the FBI. Informants told law enforcement that prior to her decision not to carry out the action, Sheila hoped Turner's death would prevent an immigration and naturalization service investigation, which she thought would lead to Rajneesh's arrest and deportation from the Great. Well, United guess what? State it happened era.
1: anyways. Right. Weaver stated these attempts to assassinate public officials were because they were presented an immigration case that might result in imprisonment of Rajneesh. There were not simply plans, but at least one assassination attempt, said Weaver at the hearing. A grand jury investigation led by Turner brought charges of widespread immigration fraud against members of Rajneesh Piram. Wiretapping crimes were discovered, and uh, after... Sheila had fled for Switzerland, and in December 1985, 21 followers of Rodnish were indicted on wiretapping charges. Oh,
0: geez, O.P. Chief Criminal Assistant United States Attorney Baron Sheldahl was assigned to prosecute the charges of federal wiretapping, and a special team from the United States Department of Justice Criminal Division was tasked with prosecuting the murder conspiracy charges. Four of the perpetrators were arrested in September 1990. Uh. Mm. Catherine Jane Stork, Richard Kevin Langford were arrested in West Germany. And Phyllis McCarthy was arrested in South Africa. Susan Hagen was arrested in England. Seuss were everywhere. Right. September 1990, Alma Peralta pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit murder. Peralta had been served. Peralta, who has served as Sheila's bodyguard and confidant, agreed to testify against other defendants in the murder conspiracy. Oh, look at that. Good for her. And then Sheila's
1: like, Thank
0: Uh, you for being my
1: friend. (laughs) You turn state's evidence (laughs) once again. (laughs) Under the terms of Peralta's plea agreement, she received a sentence of two years in federal prison. Mm. That means federal. Right. Carol Matthews was arrested in Badan, Badan, Baden, Baden, Germany in October 1990 on charges of wiretapping and conspiracy to commit murder to Turner. Uh-oh. Uh oh. To murder Turner, right. where she was held along with three other Rajneeshis. Hmm. Indictments were brought against Ma, Anad, Sheila, and six other co conspirators by a federal grand jury in November of 1990. Yeah, Sheila 19- thought she was off after she got out of prison and went to Switzerland. Uh-uh. 1991,
0: April. Carol Matthews and Richard Kevin Langford were extradited from Germany to the United States in order to appear in federal court in Portland. Law enforcement officials from the United States marshal Services traveled to Frankfurt, Germany to take custody of Matthews and Langford at Rhine Main Airport. April 15, 1991. Matthews and Langford appeared in federal court in Oregon and both pleaded innocent to charges of conspiracy to commit Moida and carrying out Why tapping. It's like, I did not conspire to moita i didn't do anything i well. don't even know how to wiretap old richard turned around on april
1: 25th 1991 and pleaded guilty in the federal court to participate in, in the murder conspiracy plot against turner oh. and in exchange he received a sentence of five years in federal prison and the dismissal of other charges against him relating to firearms and wiretapping okay langford agreed to testify against the other members of the murder conspiracy langford wrote on his plea agreement form in 1985 meetings were held at the rancho rajneesh at which time the possible killing of the united states attorney for her Oregon was discussed. Oh. I participated in a number of these meetings and agreed with others to work towards
0: that object. Oh. Well prosecutor um, Timothy J. Reardon the third stated that Linkford had been a member of the Rajnese commune in Oregon since it began in nineteen eighty one. And that the government was able to prove his joined and that the government was able to prove he joined the murder conspiracy at a point in time after May twenty fifth, nineteen eighty five. Reardon said that Langford was a member of a group called the Circle of 4038. <laughs> <laughs> the Circle of 38, which was the personal security force that guarded Sri Rajneesh and that he had served as a weapons instructor and policeman at the commune.
1: All right. So if anybody, well, and he's not even one that volunteered to kill him. Langford told U.S. District jug, Judge Malcolm Marsh that he had suggested that guns for the murder conspiracy could be bought in Texas. Instructed the conspirators about suppressors, took responsibility for the weapons while they were in the commune, and disposed of them when members of the conspiracy decided to flee for Europe. In July of 91, Carol Matthews, who did not offer any evidence against the others, entered an Alford plea, indicating exactly what she did with her research, including dissuading Sheila and was given a five-year sentence in federal court. Right.
0: She was the only one to serve a complete sentence. And spent the longest amount of time in prison. Damn,
1: the one that actually talked right. her out of doing it, and she's the one that did the most time.
0: Catherine Jane Stork was convicted of attempted murder of Rajneesh's physician, Dr. George Meredith, 1986, and served almost three years in jail. Right. After her release, agents from the FBI uncovered the plot to assassinate Turner, but Stork had already fled to Germany. Mm-hmm. She was indicted by a federal grand jury in 1990. In 1991, the German government refused to extradite Stork back to the United States. They're like, Man, Germans. They ain't messing with their right, no. I know. Already did it once. we don't got time.
1: In June 91, U.S. prosecutors filed affidavits in the murder of conspiracy case with the higher regional court in Karlsruhe, Germany, as part of an attempt to extradite Catherine Jane Stork from Germany to the U.S. The affidavit stated that all the members in the murder conspiracy plot also belonged to a group of Rajneesh followers at the Oregon Commune known as D-38 and were trained in commando tactics using Uzi semi-automatic rifles and handguns. Mm -hmm. At no point did I... Did they mention anything about Uzis being fucking
0: purchased? Or being trained. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: David Barry Knapp stated to the FBI in an affidavit that the murder conspiracy was motivated by Sheila's tremendous anger towards Turner. Obviously. I think she was jealous of him. She wanted to be Turner. Sheila served she, 29 He was the district attorney. Right, she wanted to be him. I guess. She wanted his power. <laughs> Sheila served 29 months in the minimum security federal prison for charges related to assault, right, the, attempted the, the murder, right, thing, arson, right. wiretapping in 1984 bioterror attack in Dallas. And then moved to Switzerland after her release from prison in 1988.
1: The assassination conspiracy was discovered after Sheila had left the United States and as of 1999, 1999 she was still wanted by federal law enforcement for her role in the plot and risked extradition if she crossed the Swiss border. Switzerland declined an extradition request from the United States and instead tried her in, tried her in a Swiss court. What? Sheila was found guilty of criminal acts preparatory to the commission of murder in 1999 and sentenced to time already served. <laughs> so nothing. They're like, hey, we took care of it. Right. Jeez. We found her guilty. She's guilty. She's guilty. I mean, she's living with
0: us now. (laughs) Sally Ann Croft and Susan Hagen were extradited from Britain in 1994.
1: Britain's like, yeah. Go ahead. Britain has no choice. (laughs) In
0: 1994, and were evicted by a jury decision on 28th of July, 1995. Uh, They had unsuccessfully attempted to appeal their extradition from Britain to home security Michael Howard. Secretary. Right. during their trial, the prosecution presented 29 witnesses, including former followers of Rajneesh, who placed both women in planning meetings where they discussed murdering Toyna.
1: Oh. David Barry Knapp, he keeps uh, showing up here, Um, testified for the government in the case and implicated Croft and Hagen in the assassination conspiracy. Ava K. Avalos, a Rajneesh disciple, testified in the Croft case and stated that she had been part of the conspirators that plotted to assassinate Turner. In addition to Knapp and Avalos, co-conspirators Kevin Langford, Phyllis Caldwell, and Alma Peralta testified in the case pursuant to conditional plea or immunity agreements.
0: Both women were sentenced to five years in prison. Croft and Hagen did not testify during the trial. We hashed over everything. Evidence, notes, evidence, notes. I think we did an absolutely fabulous job, said one of the jurors. At the set names for Croft and Hagen, the federal judge Malcolm Marsh described them as people of obvious goodwill who had committed an extremely serious offense against the criminal justice system.
1: Well, about that, you can't be goodwill if you're plotting to murder of somebody. Sorry. Right. Prosecutor Tim Reardon called the conspiracy to commit assassination a deadly serious crime aimed at the heart of the criminal justice system. Oh, jeez. Justice system. Here you go,
0: Prosecutor right. Reardon.
1: Croft and Hagen were released from imprisonment at FCI Dublin, California, in April of '98 and returned to Britain.
0: Huh. Okay, good for them. At least they left.
1: Uh, December 2002, and Phyllis McCarthy pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit murder and was sentenced to one year in jail and a fine of $10,000. Mm. McCarthy had served as fourth in command at Rajneesh Piram and was known by Rajneesh's followers as My Yoga Vida. Vija. Turner call, Macar- oh. Yeah, McCarthy was the one that initially said she would do it. All
0: right. Turner called the one-year prison sentence laughable. In court statements, McCarthy stated, I cannot forgive myself for not being tougher at that time and called her time with the group Psychological twitch. Mm. February 2006, Stork became the last perpetrator sentence in the political assassination plot. After 10 months of negotiations with Oregon prosecutors, Stork offered to turn herself in and return to the United States after learning of her son's terminal brain tumor.
1: Oh, they got her. Yeah. As soon as they learned her son had a uh, terminal brain tumor, they were like, we're getting her back. Right, <laughs> we got her. Prior to sentencing, the court allowed her to travel to Australia. Oh, he was in Australia. Mm. Allowed her to travel to Australia to visit her son. In addition to charges of conspiracy to commit murder, Stork also pleaded guilty to the purchase of weapons in violation of federal firearm law. An Oregon, Oregon judge sentenced her to five years probation and three months' time already served in a German jail. Turner thought she have Turner thought she should have received a harsher sentence and commented, "This was a lion in wait conspiracy to murder me, a presidential appointee, and for a long time I slept with a loaded gun beside my bed." <laughs> I'm she sure thought you did, she but.
0: thought she was in some major trouble. Like, oh, Turner. Good. Turner's the attorney general. guy. Right, he's when I that said that. Yeah. Oh, i was gonna say. Well, uh, these guys are running, thinking they're a major I, trouble.
1: I, I hope. Right. I hope uh, Turner took the name off his mailbox after all this, too.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Jeez. Though Stork could have faced life in prison, United States District Dick- 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 <laughs> U.S. District Judge Malcolm F. Marsh thought she had seen the error of her ways. Oh, whatever. A federal prosecutor in the case described Stork as the MVP of conspiracy. And said that she was the designated assassin right. that was set to murder. That's what Turner. I said. Right. She's like, this, this is the one that was going to do it. After her sentencing, Stork stated, I actually conspired to kill Mr. Turner. It is up to me alone to face this terrible truth. No person has the right to do what I did. I'm truly sorry. She goes, I will return to Germany. <laughs>
1: <laughs> In an affidavit. Timothy J. Reardon, the third lead prosecutor for the United States Department of Justice in this case, stated that Sheila had told members of the murder conspiracy that Rajneesh had personally authorized the necessary murder of specific enemies of the Rajneesh commune. Uh, Rajneesh paid a fine of four hundred thousand dollars, agreed to plead guilty, and he said, "They said uh, he ain't seven foot on the United States for another five years, dude, mm. unless nope. given permission first from the United States uh, Attorney General." Okay. Joseph T. McCann writes in Terrorism on American Soil. Nevertheless, he was never prosecuted for any of the more serious crimes perpetrated by cult members, including the Salmonella
0: poisoning. Oh, nobody got dead for that. They couldn't figure that out. Yeah, Sheila did. <laughs> Sheila and <laughs> Pooja, they were, they just took uh, the Elfron thing, whatever it was, Elfred. Yeah, but they still went to prison for
1: two and a half years. Right, age 58,
0: Rashnese died on January nineteenth, 1990, at the Ashram in Poon, India.
1: So he went back to India, huh?
0: The official cause of death was heart failure. But a statement released by his commune said that he died because living in the body had become a hell. After an alleged poisoning in U.S. jails. I'm sure. His ashes were placed in his newly built bedroom in the Lao Tzu Tzu house at the ashram in Pune. The epitaph reads, Never born, never died. Only visited this planet Earth between December 11th. 1931, January 19th, 1990. So he was born in
1: 1931 and died in 1990.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. The movement continued after Rajneesh's death, though. The Osho International Foundation, the successor to the Neo Sanyas International Foundation, now propagates his views, operating once more out of the Pune ashram in India. At least they stayed in India this time and abide by the laws. Maybe. The organization ran a pre-web, a global computer network called OshoNet, The movement has begun to communicate on the Internet. Current leaders downplay early controversies in Oregon in an effort to appeal to a wider audience. Yeah, I would too. But hey,
1: you know that stuff in Oregon? Don't worry about that. Yeah, we weren't part of that. (laughs) After Rajneesh's death, various disagreements ensued concerning his wishes and his legacy. This led to the formation of a number of rival collectives. One of the central disagreements related to OIF's copyright control over his works one group, Osho, Osho Friends International, spent 10 years challenging the OIF's use of the title Osho as an exclusive trademark. In 2003, sociologist sociologist Stephen Hunt wrote in Alternative Religions that the movement has declined since 1985. I would think so. And some would argue it is now, for all intents and purposes, defunct. Right. It's
0: like a nothing
1: really, right? right? And the United States on the... January 13, 2009, the exclusive rights that OIF held over the trademark were finally lost. OIF filed a final or filed a notice of appeal on March 12, but eventually filed for withdrawal in the court of appeals on 19th of June, thus canceling the trademarks of Osho in the US. Okay. 16th of March, 2018, Netflix released a six-part documentary entitled Wild Wild Country regarding the Rajneesh movement. And you know what? I always flip through
0: good for Netflix. On
1: that and the preview was uh, kind of interesting, but, I mean, I didn't really want to uh, watch it, but I think I might watch it now. Nah, should yeah. probably watch it before we did this, but yeah.
0: what are you going to do, right? No, I'm not watch it.
1: <sighs> Why? Seems nah. all right. Nah. Nah. nah, 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 nah. See how much stuff they, uh, uh, now that we did it, it'd be interesting to see how much stuff they um, They fabricate. A lot. So that'd be interesting, but yeah, go watch it, uh Documentary after you listen to the show. I'm assuming it would be afterwards since you're only hearing about it now, and we're saying that at the end of the show. So <laughs> that was the um, infamous Rajneesh movement. Like I said, there's um, much, much more to this group in India and um, the Rajneesh guys' actual life. But obviously, we weren't going to do that because we're already an hour in to this episode, and it's a long time poisoning a whole town and attempting to assassinate
0: public figures yeah, oh, yeah trying that, that, to that come, come in and like take over american land
1: right what the hell i mean they were there legally it's not like they did it illegally but obviously the residents didn't like what they were doing too much did they right um yeah that sheila was a, a nasty nasty girl wasn't she
0: she was she uh had an agenda and she was gonna do it she's still alive She didn't pick the right people to put out her plan though, that's a problem. Apparently
1: not. She's still alive though. I guess she's um making a they're making a movie about her or some shit coming up. So yay. (laughs) That's (laughs) gonna do it for us, outlaws and gunslingers. We'll be back next week for I don't know. You never know. I never know. We never know until about three days before. They don't know. (laughs) Uh, With that being said, if you guys are interested in more American history, we do another podcast called Battles of the American Civil War. And as the title suggests, we look at the battles of the American Civil War. We are three battles away from 1862. Mm, Moving into year number two. You Moving into year number two of the war, we've got... uh, Hall of 1861 pretty much done here, and we've started from the Battle of Fort Sumter. We're all the way up to, our, I think, our last three battles are Chustanala and Sacramento, Kentucky, and another one, I forget what it is. But yeah, and out 1861, going to 1862, where the blood is really starting to pick up and greater number of forces. Like, the whole first year of this war has just been figuring out what to do. How do we fight?
0: <laughs> well, it's seen <laughs> the other strengths and what, what kind of... Uh kinda uh what kind of enemy is right the south, is the south right now because we don't know. Or the north, right? But the, the south um, knows what kind of enemy the north is. Do they though? They know they
1: got all the firepower. it's true. Um yeah, well yeah a lot of the South guys were in the North Army, so yeah. Battles of the American Civil War, wherever you get your podcast we're we'll back next week for another episode of Outlaws and Gunslingers. We are the mouth of Michiganders. With Bang bang